It's uh, great to be back here and welcome to all of you to this wonderful program today. As, as Lexi pointed out, education has been the dominant theme of this legislative session, which is quickly rushing to an end. Interestingly, of all the colorful issues that have been introduced and discussed and debated in the Idaho legislature, including not one but two nullification bills, and in addition to that, the idea that the Idaho House might hire its own attorneys, an end on wind power, and then, of course, um, most prominently in the last few days, uh, House Bill 222, which would have armed students and faculty and staff on the college campuses, which, by the way, was defeated today in the Senate State Affairs Committee. Please don't show your bias here, please, unless you do. The education bills that Lexi referred to have dominated Idaho news here for the past couple of months. And, and you recognize, of course, that what has occurred is sweeping change in education uh, delivery and the status of teachers in this state. If you haven't had a chance to follow the details of these three bills, they do in short order. Uh, bring an end to tenure. They restrict collective bargaining. They, in effect, uh, now remove from teachers just this morning protection if they happen to work at a school and the employment is too low, they're not entitled to severance pay but dismissed immediately. These bills have been very controversial, as you know. Two of them have already been signed into law. The third will, uh, in light of its uh, revision, be shortly signed into law. And they have triggered a great deal of controversy across Idaho, erupting in an effort to uh, launch a referendum uh, to repeal these laws in the 2012 election. And so they have, in effect, generated tremendous interest in education reform, and I think this is just the opening chapter of a continued dialogue, at least for another year and a half. We'll see. We are very pleased today to invite to our podium Robin Nettiga, who is no stranger to those of you who have followed education discussions and debates in this state. She is a person who could be a page, in my mind, right out of a little house on the prairie. She grew up on the South Dakota prairie in Huron, South Dakota, and as Hollywood would grant, she attended school in her early years in a one-room schoolhouse. Is that not the good beginning for a story? She and her family relocated to Nampa where she finished high school. She then went on to attend the College of Idaho where she majored in education and English. After graduation, she served for a couple of years as a teacher in Winnemucca, returned to Idaho, and for the next 13 years or so taught in middle schools and junior high schools in the Nampa School District where she taught English and reading. And then her career underwent a shift. She moved to the administrative side of things and in 1997 was elected to a four-year term as president of the Idaho Education Association. After that stint, she then became director of the IEA's public policy and then in 2008 was elected as the executive director of the IEA. And by the way, she became the first female to hold that post. 
she is well known as a wonderful cook and, and uh, baker. She brings her tasty goodies to the office, and that has inspired efforts to rename the IEA as the Idaho Eating Association. That's what I understand. Please welcome Robin to our podium. Thank you, David, and good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here. I told Lexi uh, as I came today, gosh, I, you know, I hope I get a better reception here than I've been getting in some other places lately this year. It's been a tough last three months. But I do want to thank you for the opportunity to be here and to talk to you about a topic that is very dear to me as well. Um, as you heard in my introduction uh, that David just provided, I have spent my entire professional career in, engaged in some aspect of education. Really, teaching is all that I ever wanted to do. Uh, even before I attended my very first day of school, I already knew I was going to be a teacher. In fact, my earliest memory of teaching was probably when I was about five, year, five years old, back in South Dakota. And my older sister, Kim, had, was in first grade, and she had uh, already learned a couple of words. She learned the words and and the, and she came home and she taught those words to me. And we practiced them repeatedly until I knew how to spell those words. And one afternoon when she went to school, I took down from the bookshelf three volumes of the brand new set of Collier's encyclopedias that my father had bought for his children who were now starting school. And I handed one to each of my three younger siblings and I put them to work, circling all the ands and the thes that they could find on the very first page. And really I probably could have gotten away with it if only my mother hadn't caught me later in the afternoon sitting in the middle of my bed grading their work. And that's a true story. So over the years, as my career path veered away from the classroom, I began to see a very different view of this important work. And my, my new perspective really served to heighten my dedication to the teaching profession. In my mind, there is no nobler nor ennobling profession than, te than teaching. It is the profession from which all other professions emanate. And it's very hard work. These past few months have been particularly difficult for educators in our state. In fact, I can't remember another time in my life when public schools and public school teachers have been under such attack as they have been this legislative session. And I'd like to kind of start today by reviewing what's happened since January. You might recall that in the very first few days of the legislative session, I believe it was just two days after the governor made his State of the State address, Superintendent Luna hinted at some sweeping changes that he was preparing to introduce when he stood before the Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee and told them, basically, we have three choices. He said, quote, we can continue to cannibalize the system that we currently have, or we can raise taxes so that we can fund the current system, or we can change the system to one that is student-centered and focuses on teaching more kids at a higher level, unquote. Well, you may, re you, as we now know, just days later, he introduced his plan. And that plan eventually morphed into three bills. Those three bills were Senate Bill 1108, 1110, and 1184, or as we call them, the Luna Plan. The first two bills, as David told you, have already been signed into law by Governor Otter, uh, and some of, the, some of those pieces that have, of that legislation have already taken effect because they had an emergency clause. And the third piece, was passed late last night in the Senate, 
About 7 o'clock last evening, the Senate voted on a vote of 20 to 15 to pass that third piece to the House, and it now awaits a hearing in the House Education Committee on Tuesday morning. Uh, we were informed today that stakeholders will have an opportunity to, spend, to, to speak about the bill, but there will be no public testimony taken on that bill in the House Education Committee, <clears throat> which is unfortunate because the House has not had a chance to uh, vet that piece of legislation at all. So let me just, as David told you a little bit, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about what each of those pieces of legislation does. So 11, Senate Bill 1108, uh, which is now law, does the following things to diminish and to demean Idaho teachers. It prohibits school districts from providing teachers with protection against arbitrary discipline and firing. It prohibits negotiations regarding class size and other keys to the best possible learning conditions. It allows school districts to unilaterally reduce pay and benefits. It mandates that all locally bargained agreements expire at the, each of er at the end of every year. It forbids districts to consider seniority in layoff decisions. And it removes the funding safety net for school districts. So therefore, teachers, administrators, and support personnel can be laid off well into a school year. It diminishes local control, and it weakens Idaho's ability to recruit and retain the highest quality teachers. Brian, Representative Brian Cronin, who is a Boise area legislator, summed up the legislation best in his debate against it on the floor of the House, and I'd like to read a quote from him. He said, quote, let's stop pretending that Senate Bill 1108 has anything to do with education reform or the classroom or our children. The bill intends to dismantle the Idaho Education Association, put teachers in their place, and ensure that teachers' voices are effectively silenced on matters of contract, classroom learning conditions, scheduling, curriculum, and many other areas where their expertise should be welcomed. He went on to say, they, we've chosen to devalue and demoralize the very people who have been nothing less than heroic in recent years by collaboratively withstanding funding shortfalls, financial emergencies, staffing reductions, all the while shielding the kids in the classrooms from the damaging cuts that we've chosen to make. This bill makes teachers our adversaries. It's a slap in the face to the people who dedicate their lives to giving our children skills, knowledge, tools, and the nurturing they need to thrive and pursue a lifetime of learning. We're not going to get better teaching by punishing our teachers. We may achieve certain political aims, but this doesn't help our teachers or our children, end quote. The second measure is Senate Bill 1110, and this one, as David said, has already been signed into law by uh, the governor, and it mandates a statewide pay-for-performance plan without specifying how that plan is to be funded. And the third pillar of the Luna plan, Senate Bill 1184, you might recall in uh, two previous drafts, had originally mandated larger class sizes, eight online courses for every Idaho high school student, and a laptop for every ninth grader, all at the expense of a, about a thousand uh, Idaho education jobs. But as we all know, public outcry caused the bill sponsors to pull this legislation back, and they did rework it several times. In its current format, the bill now aims to have teachers receive those mobile computing devices in the year 2012-2013, with students due to get them in subsequent years. 
It also loosens up what's called the use it or lose it mandate in a way that's certain to result in fewer teachers and increased class sizes, and it cuts teacher salary-based apportionment in order to pay for the technology and the teacher pay bonuses from the pay for performance plan. And most of all, it leaves budget cutting decisions to local districts that are already reeling from two years of deep cuts. Now, Superintendent, and his, Superintendent Luna and his allies call this local control and flexibility. But many educators, local school board members, and parents call it an irresponsible abandonment of the state's constitutional duty to fund a uniform and thorough system of public education. And that bill passed out of the Senate uh, on uh, even even over the objections of every single stakeholder group, the PTA, the school, boards of, the school boards of the state, the school administrators of the state and the teachers all spoke against that bill and yet it passed anyway on a party line vote. Schools have already faced budget cuts of $200 million over the past two years. And I'll just tell you that we've already been told by, by a by some senators and, and House members to be expecting an additional $50 million cut for the coming year. Now couple this with the fact that there is not one ounce of notable research to support the concepts outlined in the Luna Plan, and I believe we have a recipe for disaster. Idaho parents and business leaders know that this is not the time to add even more ongoing expenses to an already strapped budget. Parents and business leaders know that now more than ever, our children need a solid education that will help them succeed as adults and citizens in the 21st century. Last weekend, the uh, Idaho Statesman, the Boise area newspaper, asked the IEA to join a number of groups and individual Idahoans and weigh in on the following question. They asked, if you had all the flexibility to do what you want, what specific steps would you take to improve education given Idaho's ongoing budget gap? In essence, what would you do that doesn't cost more money? In fact, costs less money. Tough question to answer. And I'd like to share just a little bit of what we said with you, because I believe it's on point with today's topic. And I want to begin by saying what we would not do. We would not use a bu budget crisis to impose ideologically motivated punitive programs. We would not attempt to, attempt to overhaul Idaho's educational system on a unilateral basis without the input of the people who need to carry out change in Idaho's classrooms. We would not take away individual teachers' abilities to have a voice in their working conditions or to negotiate with their local school districts. All evidence and past experience clearly illustrates that where change is necessary, it's important that those who have a stake in the effort will work collaboratively on solutions that will benefit our children. The package of bills introduced this legislative session by Superintendent Luna completely ignores this most basic fact of successful management. And moreover, a majority of Idahoans do not accept the superintendent's premise that education can only be improved by spending existing revenues differently. As the most recent Boise State University public policy poll found, more than half of all Idahoans surveyed said that they would pay an extra cent of sales tax if it helped K-12 schools. And on March 8th, as citizens have done over the past several years in communities all across this state, they once again confirmed their support for our education when they passed levies to help their local school districts. In fact, over the past four years, since a special session of the Idaho legislature in 2006 decreased state support for schools, 
local districts have increased their supplemental levies by $34.8 million, or 44%. In every single part of Idaho, in the depths of the worst recession in our lifetimes, Idahoans have voted over and over again, and even with our pinched pocketbooks, have agreed to pay more for quality schools. To most Idahoans, quality schools mean that teachers have time to give each child one-on-one -on -one attention when it's needed. To most Idahoans, quality schools mean classrooms where every child has a seat and an adequate space to work before he or she has a laptop. So by now you might be asking yourself, okay, so you don't, obviously you don't think that Luna, the Luna plan is the solution and you've ticked off a litany of things that you wouldn't do. Um, so what can be done? What should we be doing to reform our schools? Well, I'll tell you that the one question that we have heard most often since January when Superintendent Luna unveiled his plan is this. When will the IEA put forth its own plan? We've heard that not only from the, from, uh, the media and, our, and community members and legislators, but also from some of our own members. And this is our answer very simply. If the IEA introduced its own plan, Mr. Luna's backers would shoot it down just as surely as we are working to fight his ill-conceived proposals. Because the, the only long-term solution to true school reform is to have everyone sit down together at a table and work collaboratively through the messy and very time-consuming work of collaboration on a plan that will truly put our children first. But we do have some ideas, and I'd like to share four of them with you today. If we, if we were given an opportunity to collaborate on such a plan, we might bring up some things like this. Idea number one, elevate the teaching profession. Although the debate over education often compares the United States to emerging Asian economic, economic powers, Finland is another international leader in student achievement, and one where teaching ranks as an esteemed profession. In Finland, it's harder to get into an education program in college than it is to be admitted to law school. In fact, only 15% of applicants are accepted as education majors in Finland. Teaching attracts top students, and teachers get excellent support during the early years of their careers, including experience in university-affiliated model schools, and they also get several years of mentoring. It also helps that in Finland, teachers are paid well and do not face a heavy emphasis on standardized tests. In fact, Finland's achievement has risen as the nation has de-emphasized standardized tests. Idaho's colleges and universities must focus on attracting excellent students who want to teach, as well as providing opportunities for research into what works in our classrooms. And we need strong mentoring programs for new teachers, as well as opportunities for veteran teachers to collaborate and upgrade their skills via advanced degrees and programs, including the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards. Teachers who have engaged in the National Board process tell us that it constitutes some of the best professional development that they've ever experienced. And we must reward teachers who make this sort of commitment, both financially and by recognizing their master, them as master teachers. And at the same time, we must guard against devaluing the education profession by pretending that people can become teachers by simply completing a short course and taking an online test rather than a rigorous college program in the art and the science of teaching. Idea number two, charter schools. What's working? You might be surprised to know that the IEA helped write our state's charter school law in the late 1990s. 
The association did so with the understanding that charter schools would share what worked well and not, and not so well, so that successful innovations could, re, could be replicated in our traditional schools. But currently in Idaho, the assumption among some of our state's leaders is that if it's a charter school, it must be good. But let me be clear, there are some wonderful charter schools. At the same time, there are some charter schools that struggle. In fact, several charter schools have closed in recent years. And as the Idaho Statesman reported several weeks ago, the Idaho Virtual Academy that's run by the for-profit Virginia-based K-12 corporation has test scores that are far below the state average. Even as Idaho continues to, pr to promote additional school choice, we believe it makes sense that we identify the highly effective models being used in those charter schools and that we encourage their use in traditional schools. Now this will require the legislature to loosen some of the rules and regulations that, that traditional schools have to operate under, however. And additionally, we need to identify and discontinue ineffective programs in all schools, traditional and charter because Idaho's finite education dollars must be, fin must be spent effectively and efficiently. Idea number three is technology. We think we need to reframe the discussion because one of the most unfortunate aspects of Tom Luna's education overhaul effort is that he framed the technology debate in very narrow terms of hardware and online course delivery. At the same time, he tried to portray students as lacking the technology skills they need for college and career, and he also painted educators and parents as fearful of technology. He was wrong on both counts. Students and parents know it, and that's why the, aspect, the, the technology aspects of his plan are so very unpopular. Idaho students already have technology skills, and they get an abundance of screen time. What they really need are high-level thinking and collaborative skills that are best learned via interaction with educators and classmates working together in a classroom. And moreover, te Idaho teachers have been using clickers and even more advanced technology like smart boards and laptops and the internet for decades to augment classroom learning. We know there's a role for distance learning, especially for small towns and rural districts where the course offerings may be limited and educators are committed to helping students bridge that digital divide. But we need to turn the debate away from gizmos and gimmicks and more toward how technology can be used to help individual students learn within the traditional classroom setting and on their own. And we also need to be honest that under such a model, we'll probably need more teachers, not fewer. And idea number four, parents make the difference. Under the Luna Plan, parents will have a major role in evaluating teachers whether they've spent any time in their child's classroom or not. Once again, Mr. Luna has identified a very noble goal, more parental involvement, but he's framed it in a way that misses the point. For parents and for other adults to understand our children's education, we must help parents find a way to spend, find time to spend in their kids' classrooms. Idaho often gives tax breaks to businesses seeking more to move or to expand here. What if, as the economy improves, the state offered, offered modest tax credits to businesses that allow their employees regular release time to volunteer in their children's classrooms? Or what about uh, tax breaks for employees themselves? Educators need more time to collaborate with parents as well as their peers. 
What if educators were allowed to spend less time teaching to tests and more time meeting with parents to explain what students are learning and how the parents can reinforce those classroom experiences? Although parents will ideally come to their children's schools on a regular basis, more robust parent-teacher collaboration may provide a higher and better use of technology than online course mandates and mobile computing purchases, all at the expense of thousands of Idaho education jobs. And I'll end my comments with this. When it comes to schools, it's important to remember that there are no silver bullet fixes. Regardless of what politicians say, whether it's chatter about laptops or merit pay or any other myriad of roll-off-the-tongue quick fixes currently making the rounds, changing a system that rises or falls on the successful interaction between a teacher and a student is complex. Think about it. As you talk with a, with, as you talk with a kid between the ages of 5 and 18, what are the dynamics that are involved in getting him or her to listen? There are dozens of them and teachers face almost all of them every day. There, are no single fix, there is no single fix that exists for every student in every school. If it did, I can guarantee you that teachers would have found it a long time ago and they would have applied it immediately. So we must recognize that silver bullet solutions are almost always proposed by politicians interested in advancing their careers, not by educators who know what really goes on in our classrooms. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Thanks very much for those remarks. We've got a variety of questions here from members of the audience today. Uh, some of them are more complicated than others. Uh, let's start with a fundamental question. Should the IEA be perceived as an organization who has outlived its usefulness that it's not forward-looking and lives in a day gone by? Uh, that's a good question. <clears throat> and I'll tell you that if, if, the, I, if the IEA ceased to, ceased to exist tomorrow, there would immediately spring up another organization that looks exactly like the IEA because it is the only opportunity our teachers who work in classrooms and other education professionals who work in our schools every single day have to for a voice in, in policy in this state. I don't believe the IEA has outlived its, its usefulness. It was here, it's been here 119 years, and it'll be here 119 years more. Thank you. Uh, how does the IDA help educators? Good question. We do, a, there, there are a variety of things that the Idaho Education Association do, does to help educators, aside from the policy work that we, that we do at the legislature every single um, legislative session and between sessions. We also work with them, we also offer professional development, work with them uh, in their uh, classrooms as they need help, um, and support teachers who, might, who may be struggling. Robin, do you think that the teachers confuse uh, attacks on Superintendent Luna's programs with a resistance to any innovation in teaching? Do you think teachers confuse that? Mm -hmm. I, I think teachers, te I think teachers get a, are offended by, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to answer the question, so you may have, to may have to ask it in a different way, but I'll try. I think teachers um, have been offended by the um, belief out there or the supposition by Superintendent Luna and others that um, they don't put students first. Just the title of his program alone was offensive, as if there was a belief that, student, that teachers in their classrooms don't think about students every single day and want to put them first. 
Um, so I, I think, I, I, and they aren't, and teachers are not interested in the status quo. They, we have done things over the course of the years just since I've been involved with the Idaho Education Association that show that teachers want to try and uh, do new and innovative things in their classrooms and in their schools. Um, and so I, I don't think that, so I don't know if I answered the question or not, but I don't think that teachers are interested in the status quo. Here, here's a related question. Okay. Why do you think some in the public perceive the IEA as being resistant to change? Uh, probably because the IEA stands up and says no when they see that something is trying, when someone's trying to do something that they know is wrong for children. The Idaho Education Association is not Robin. <laughs> it's not the staff members who serve uh, our members while they're in their classroom. It's, it's 13,000 uh, educators all across this state who tell us every single day what it is that they want for our public schools and for their profession and they expect us to deliver. Here's a complicated question. Okay. <clears throat> During his campaign uh, for re-election, Superintendent Luna praised the quality of education in Idaho, praised the quality of teachers in Idaho, and then when he was elected, uh, engaged in a 180 and began to criticize teachers and the educational system. How do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, um. I guess uh, well, we, we, were, we were surprised and disappointed um, we, and uh, confused as to how schools could have been so good um, in uh, August, September, and October, and after the first Tuesday in November, somehow fell apart. Um, so we, we are confused by that and have never really gotten a good answer from him either. Um, and. I guess probably teachers in this state are, would probably, if, if, the, if some of our members were standing up here, they'd probably say they were pretty offended by his comments. In another related question, uh, some in Idaho believe that the real aim of these three education bills was to end collective bargaining and to remove tenure. What's your perception of that question? I think the bills speak for themselves. I, I don't. I will tell you that um, certainly we are concerned about that. Collective bargaining has not gone away, however, and uh, our members understand that there is there. They will still be bargaining. In fact, our members are preparing to bargain right now. Bar the limit, the scope of bargaining has been limited somewhat, um, but bargaining will still continue in this state in probably a different format for at least a little while. But just because these bills become law does not necessarily mean they're there forever. And we will begin working immediately to change that. Here's a question you'll appreciate. Is it still expected of teachers in Idaho that they should pay for some materials in their own classrooms? Yes, it's simply yes. We know that teachers spend hundreds of dollars in, uh, for their classrooms every, every single year. Um, in fact, I think if you asked, we, we actually surveyed our members and we asked them a number of questions. We did an online survey and our members would tell you that um, before you buy me a laptop, would you please make sure that I have chalk for my chalkboard and paper to make copies on? If I could have that, I can, I can be successful. I don't need a laptop to be successful. Follow-up question. Uh, are you familiar with other businesses in which employees are required to bring their own materials uh, to the <laughs> office? I am, uh, let, me, let me preface this by saying, you know, education is the only profession of, in which I have ever engaged, and so I don't have a lot of experience 
Um, but I would tell you I'm not aware of any other profession where the, where the person is expected to bring their materials and supplies with them or create them if they don't exist. We'll do a quick survey of the audience. For those of you listening on KISU, uh, you're listening to a program on the proposed education reforms in the state. So a survey of the, of the audience. How many of you who drive ambulances for a living are required <laughs> to bring your ambulance to the office? <laughs> Those of you who are firefighters, are you required to bring your own firefighting hoses to the office? For listeners on the radio, the firefighters said they don't have to bring their firefighting hoses. <laughs> Let's turn to a couple specifics of the program okay. uh, initiated by the superintendent to get your reaction to some of okay. the particular aspects. If there are teacher layoffs around the state, and, and estimates include some 1,000 layoffs, mm -hmm. how will it be determined? which teachers and which districts are laid off or lose their jobs? Um, I, that remains to be seen, but I will tell you that if I, were a, if I were a teacher teaching in a small rural area of the state where student population was uh, decreasing, I'd be very concerned about my job. And if I were a teacher who was um, pushing the envelope in terms of creativity and innovation and um, asking students to do things that maybe they didn't want to do and I was teaching the mayor's son or the superintendent's daughter, I might be a little concerned about how I approached some of my work because I, I think our members believe that it's, the peop it's going to be the squeaky wheel that gets removed. And what are your concerns about the removal of tenure or the gradual phasing out about tenure? Our, I, our biggest concern around that is that it will be difficult, if not impossible, for Idaho to recruit and retain quality teachers in this state. There isn't a reason when, when you've got, when you're, when you're have some of the lowest salaries in the state and now with uh, Senate Bill 1184 salary-based apportionment is neg negatively impacted so salaries will continue to decrease in this state for teachers. When you're faced with that along with um, no assurances that, uh, you, that you'll have your job the next year, whether it's through um, student attrition or the lack of, t uh, of uh, continuing contract status, we don't like to call it tenure because Idaho teachers really don't have tenure, but continuing contract status, it's a concern. Do you believe that pay for performance can work in Idaho? And if so, why do you believe that can work? Uh, I, per personally, I'm not convinced that pay for performance can work anywhere. I, I don't think that there are any um, long-term studies that show that pay for performance makes a difference. But we are willing to, we were, the Idaho Education Association certainly was willing to have that conversation. We actually did go to the table. Um, and sit down with Superintendent Luna and other stakeholders and actually help develop the pay for performance plan that is in place um, and has been adopted. However, you, might you may recall or maybe you don't know, but we did oppose that um, piece of legislation and that was confusing for some people because they said, well, how can you oppose something that you helped create? But I would like to let everybody know that the reason we oppose that is because when we sat at the table and developed that, we said we're willing to try this. We're willing to try this experiment but we're only willing to try it when there's new money that's added to the system. And we agreed to that. We agreed to that during the race to the top uh, applications under uh, President Obama's administration. We submitted the application, and, but, we would, but we certainly cannot support the bill in its, or the law now as it currently stands because we know 
that the only way that that pay for performance bonuses are going to be uh, provided to teachers is by cutting up someone else's salary in order for in order to achieve it. You mentioned the need for increased revenue to support education. Is the IEA officially supportive of any means of enhancing revenue? Yes, the IEA is supportive of lots of means to enhance revenue. In fact, for the last three years, um, we have spent um, hours of time talking to legislators and others about the need to uh, raise revenue. You might recall that in 2006, it was the Idaho Education Association who introduced the concept of an increased penny on our sales tax in order to increase funding for public schools. We've supported the concept of hiring more auditors so that we can p get the taxes paid that are, that are outstanding. We support doing this streamlined sales tax uh, so that we can tax internet sales. We believe that uh, we can look at some of the exemptions that exist in Idaho uh, code and, and maybe some, make some adjustments there to raise revenue. And I, there are probably others, but those are the ones that immediately come to mind, David. Uh, Robin, what is the IEA's position on the practice of performance reviews of teachers based on particular measurements or merit? Um, the IEA is a, does not necessarily have a position in favor uh, or against uh, using st student uh, improvement on uh, teacher evaluations. Obviously, that's why you're hired. You're hired to be there to help improve students and help them grow. However, we do have a problem when, the, when that growth measure is one single, one single test. And right now, that's basically all this state has is the ISAT test. And I think some of our educators who work in classrooms would tell you they're, they're not all that confident that the ISAT test really tests everything a student ought to know and be able to do, nor does it test every subject that, uh, that students take in school. So that's a concern for us, certainly. Do you believe that there's a misperception throughout Idaho about what tenure means for public school teachers? If so, will you explain what tenure does? Thank you. We absolutely, we absolutely believe that there's a misconception about what tenure means. When, when, you ask, when we ask people what do they think tenure means, specifically legislators, they think it means we have a job for life. And that's not what Idaho teachers have. In fact, I'm not sure that there's any teacher in any state in this nation that has tenure. Basically, before, Senator, before the uh, bill was signed into law um, a week, let's say two weeks ago, this is what continuing contract status in our state looked like. If a teacher, after teaching in the same district for three consecutive years, on the first day of their fourth year, they got what was called a renewable contract. And basically, all it guaranteed them was that if there were not problems that would um, keep the district from rehiring them in the coming year, they would be assured that they would have a contract. If, however, they had problems, uh, performance or otherwise, um, they would have an opportunity to be told what their problem was, given time and resources to fix that problem, and if at the end of the time frame they were unable to fix their problem, then they would have to go in front of the school board and try and represent themselves, be represented or represent their position, and the school board would make a decision as to whether to let them go or retain them. And that, it's that simple. It was just an opportunity to correct your errors and time to do it. And if you were successful, great. If you weren't, then you were released. Now, in your remarks, you acknowledged that there were some problems in the way in which education is delivered in Idaho. And you set forth a few proposed, mm -hmm. proposals to remedy those problems. 
In your view, uh, is it the case that teaching online courses requires a different kind of pedagogical approach? In your view, does Superintendent Luna grasp the differences between teaching online and in a classroom? We have a number of teachers who, who do teach online, both either for their district or because uh, as a second job in order to support themselves, they also work for the Idaho Digital Learning Academy, which is the Idaho, um, the state's version of um, virtual education. And in those, in, in those folks will tell you that, it does, that teaching online is much different from teaching in front of a classroom. Um, aside from just having to understand how to work, use the equipment, you have to understand how to engage engage students in that kind of a distant in relationship that you have and so we do believe it it takes different skills and I'm obviously there isn't a whole lot in the legislation that speaks to the need for teachers to be prepared to teach in a digital environment and so I'm not sure I, I don't want to speak for the superintendent but I'm not convinced that he understands there's a difference here's a broad question for you raised by a number of, of audience members Education is more than the efforts by teachers in the classroom. It Absolutely. requires parental support. Mm -hmm. uh, do, can teachers do more to inspire parents to be more supportive of their children's education? Yes. In, a, in an answer, yes. I, you know, I remember my years of teaching, and I, as I taught in the secondary um, area, and I didn't see a lot of parents, and, except if it was a parent-teacher conferences and I think I think you know I think we're getting better but I think for years and years we've kind of made it uncomfortable for parents to come to school and I think we have an obligation as educators to invite parents in and to make them feel comfortable and to help them understand that their role is bigger than just helping the PTA figure out what the next fundraising activity is going to be um, parents have a very important role in our in our schools and we have a responsibility to help engage them in any way that we can would you please comment on how you believe the education in the math and sciences can be improved in Idaho? Math. Well, I'll tell you that um, this year um, the the um, education budget, because of the passage of Senate Bill 1184, or soon to be passage of Senate Bill 1184, um, math and science will be funded. Um, there will be an in, a requirement that students have in another year of science and another te another year of math, and certainly those subjects are very important. We need to make sure that our students have the the skills they need to um, to function in a, in a world uh, that requires higher math and science skills. As to the specifics about how we give about how we go about doing that. I'm a reading and English teacher, and I'd have to leave that to the math and science teachers to explain to you how they do how best to accomplish that. Some people accuse the IEA of focusing too much on money and benefits of teaching rather than trying to spur educators to do a better job in the classroom. How do you respond to that criticism? Well, I would say it's not true. We work with our members every single day, and we offer them all kinds of opportunities to help them become better professionals. But I will say this as well, and we do spend a lot of time talking about money because education is a people business, and people businesses are expensive. And if we want our children to have a quality education, then we have to be willing to do what it takes to pay for that education system for them. 
We have a number of teachers in the classroom who are proud of their heritage. Some are intergenerational teachers. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that these changes in education will make the teaching profession more or less attractive mm -hmm. for those in colleges and universities around the state? We fear that it'll make um, the education profession less attractive. Uh, we part some, one, one uh, classification of membership in the IEA is students in colleges and universities who are preparing to become teachers. And uh, during this legislative session, I cannot tell you the number of conversations that we've had with students who are interested in becoming teachers who are changing their, their um, majors as we speak. Uh, because they're worried. They're scared about whether or not there's going to be a job or whether or not they're going to be able to stay in a state that they want to, want to stay in and whether or not if they do get the degree that they'll be hired anywhere. And so it worries, it worries me greatly that um, we're going to find it harder and harder to retain and recruit quality students to the, to the profession. Robin, where does the IEA stand on the idea of either increasing the length of the academic year or uh, instituting summer school as a mandatory requirement for students around the state? For a number of years, the Idaho Education Association has advocated lengthening the school year. Uh, we believe that um, not necessarily lengthening it in terms of having more time with, with between the teachers and the students, but certainly potentially more time there, but more time for teachers to collaborate and get professional development as well. Um, we believe that um, that can only be accomplished. There are only so many hours in a day, and uh, so that can probably only be accomplished by uh, lengthening the school year, and we have supported it for years and continue to. You've already addressed the issue of tenure, but we have a couple of more okay. questions. Some in the audience point out that they do not have tenure in their own jobs. Mm -hmm. What is different about teaching uh, that suggests the need for tenure? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot this legislative session and um, and previous to this, obviously, anytime this issue comes up. And from our perspective, and people can argue with us, certainly, but teaching is a, is a different kind of profession than any other profession in, in the world. It's a very political position, and you are expected to um, push and spur students to think bigger and in different ways than they ever have. And sometimes you have to push the envelope, and you have to make people uncomfortable. And um, by doing that, you sometimes ruffle feathers of people who are in power. And uh, if you don't have the ability to protect your position and know that you can, that you can uh, force children to think about things in different ways and not have to worry about whether or not the next um, lesson that you provide is going to risk your profession, then uh, you need some sort of protection from arbitrary dismissal. Thank you. To push that one step further, do you now believe that without tenure, teachers will be more hesitant to take on sensitive or difficult issues for fear of parental backlash? Not, uh, we absolutely believe that teachers will be um, more leery about taking on those kinds of things, not necessarily even from just parental backlash, but you know there are lots of organizations and groups out there who are constantly telling schools and school districts how to do their work. Uh, we encounter them at school board meetings all across the state every month, uh, telling us what books we should, sh should and should not be reading, what kinds of health programs we ought to or ought not be teaching. And so all of those things concern us. In the spirit of putting students first, how will educators move with these new uh, reforms? 
Well, obviously, some of those reforms are already in place, and so we'll al we've already begun looking at how it is that we operate in a new environment. And at the same time, we are also looking at our options of doing what we can to begin to repeal those pieces of legislation. Uh, we, ha we know that across the state, parents and, and teachers all across the state, business leaders have been um, talking about their concerns about, this, about these bills. Um, they have been rallying and emailing and calling and attending community events and uh, having one-on-one -on -one conversations with legislators to try and, and encourage them to listen to what they want as parents for their children and as educators for, for their uh, profession. And unfortunately, lawmakers haven't listened. And so we will certainly be exploring other options into the, in the future to um, potentially repeal these bills too. Have you been heartened by the public support that you've received statewide? Our members have been very heartened by the support they've seen statewide. Um, you know, it's, it's a, our, our, our um, educators were nervous to step out and talk about these pieces of legislation early on because to some of them they felt like they might be looking like they're greedy, like they were only interested in their own pocketbooks, which is not the case at all, and so they were a little nervous about that. But I can tell you that the thousands upon thousands of parents and business leaders across the state who have stepped up to say to our, our members and educators, you know, you're right and our children deserve a better education and Superintendent Luna and the legislature are not putting students first and we want to join with you to put students first has meant the world to our members. Let's ask you to wave your magic wand in the classroom. Do you believe that teachers will be able to make lemonade out of the lemons that you perceive they've been handed. <laughs> you know that remains to be seen. I wish I could. I wish I could. You know, I wish I could project myself six months into the future. Uh, I can tell you this: that Idaho, um, that the citizens of this state are some of the most fortunate citizens of any state because there are 16,000 teachers in this state who step up every single day and give everything they have to make sure that your children are well educated and they will continue to do that every they will continue to do that even under the worst of circumstances they've been doing it for the last 3 years under some pretty horrific circumstances and i can guarantee you that they will continue to do that into the future. Do you mean to tell this audience that people don't enter the teaching profession to gain great wealth? <laughs> <laughs> I can just tell you that my father uh, shook his head when, I, he, when he learned that I really was going to go to college to be a teacher. He tried so hard to change my mind for so many years. And, um, and I think now he's proud of me, but at the time he couldn't understand because he knew what I was in for in, in, uh, in my lifetime. And I can tell you that teachers don't get into this profession to make money um, because the wealth that they receive from, from their profession is with the children that they work with every day. Here's a good hard question for you. Uh, how do you respond to the charge that the IEA spends money to elect those people with whom they'll negotiate? At the, at the, I'm assuming you're talking at the school board level. And the IEA, I can tell you that the IEA has not, over the past couple of years, gotten, or num not couple of years, number of years, gotten very involved in school board races. But we do certainly have a political action committee, and we do work very hard to try and elect pro-public education candidates because we think it's in the best interest of our schools and our profession. And um, don't have, do not stand before you today and apologize for any of that. We believe that that is our role and it's our responsibility to ensure that the that this profession. Um, gets the kind of um, 
support that it needs. Will you please set out for the audience what you consider to be the benefits of collective bargaining for teachers? Absolutely. Collective bargaining um, is an opportunity to problem solve at the very local, basic level, at the local level. It's an opportunity for the people who are managing the schools and the people who are operating within those schools to figure out how they can best address the issues that the school district is dealing with and the, and the needs that the students and the employees of that district have. And uh, it has worked well since 1970 in this state. I could probably, you know, hold up both hands and not have a, not show you or show you more fingers than there have been teacher strikes in this state. It just doesn't happen because our members know how to problem solve and they go to that table to uh, willing every single year to make sure that they make decisions and solutions that will benefit our students. During the course, the course of testimony before the Idaho House this mm -hmm. winter, it was mentioned on a number of occasions that students are not adequately prepared uh, to enroll in the state's universities and colleges. Do you see a greater need uh, to provide uh, enhanced education to prepare our students? I think part of the problem that we face, there, I think there are a couple of problems there, and I honestly have not, I will tell you that I've not spent time looking at the research that they use, but I think a couple of things. First of all, um, I think that sometimes we, we lump all of the students that are going back to college into one box, those who have immediately, just immediately graduated from high school and those who are coming back to the, um, the college or university setting after years or a couple of years away from the classroom. And I think that makes a difference. And secondly, I think we haven't done a very good job of looking at um, education in the broader spectrum in this state. We spend a lot of time talking about K-12 and a lot of time talking about higher ed, but we don't spend any time really talking about P-21, that is preschool through all the way through college and through the rest of your lifetime. And I think I think all of us in this, um, in this state need to do a better job of having that conversation and making sure that before we set out standards for our students in, in uh, high school that we ought to be talking to the colleges and universities and asking them what is it that you need our students to be able to do uh, as, they enter the, as they enter your doors. And I think we've begun to do that, but we need to do a lot more. Robin, in your view, do legislators understand the critical link between education and the ability to attract businesses to Idaho? Well, I question that because if they did, I think they'd be making different decisions about about um, public education in this state. Um, so I question it. We're about out of time. In, in your closing remarks, you indicated that you hope that there might be an effort to repeal mm -hmm. uh, these measures. How optimistic are you that Idaho voters will sign the petitions allowing those measures to be readdressed by voters in 2012? Uh, we're very optimistic. Uh, never before in my career with the organization have I seen such engagement of public all across this state. I can tell you that typically in a legislative session, we'll have a legislator say to me, gosh, you know, I got 20 emails from teachers and parents this week over a, this bill or that. And I can tell you on a daily basis, I was having legislators who I don't typically deal with 
um, because they don't serve on the education committee, coming up to me and saying, you know, I had 400 emails or I had 200 emails last night. So I think that the public is more engaged this year than they've ever been. I'm not going to kid. Our, I'm, I'm not going to, um, you know, kid myself and think that it's going to be easy because it's a very high hurdle for us to be able to to leap in this state in order to run a referendum. Um, but I can tell you that my organization is seriously looking at it. And um, my board of directors has given the organization um, the, uh, the uh, go-ahead to begin doing some of the preliminary work, and we have done that. And uh, when our delegates meet later uh, next month to um, talk about the coming year and make plans for the coming year, they'll be talking about it as well and making some final decisions about that. And it will be hard work. I'm afraid our time has expired. Please join us in a round of applause for Robin. Thank, Thank you very you. much Thank for your you. today. You've been listening to the City Club of Idaho Falls Forum, which airs the final Monday of every month at 7 p.m. right here on FM 91 KISU Pocatello, Idaho Falls. You'll find the audio archive of all past forums at ifcityclub.com. Coming up next, it's Beat City Radio with Levi Montana Keller. Support on KISU comes from the J.A. and Katherine Albertson Foundation, sponsoring the Go On campaign, sounding the alarm that high school is not enough. Research, labor statistics, and ways to get involved are available online at goonidaho.org. In community events, Katie Lindsay is a 23-year-old ISU student who was diagnosed this February with stage 4 brain cancer. Katie has undergone surgery to remove part of the tumor and is currently receiving radiation treatment. 5K for Katie is to raise funds to help the family with medical expenses. It's happening Saturday, April 2nd at Ammon Park with registration from 10 until noon and the event beginning at noon. For information, contact Sherry at 705-2718. For those simply wishing to send a donation, see the 5K for Katie event post on our community calendar at KISU.org. Hello, this is Michelle Kelly, a student in the dietetics program at Idaho State University. March is National Nutrition Month, and here's a nutrition tip for you. Do you want to eat better, but you don't know where to start? Here's a simple rule. Eat right with color, which is this year's theme for National Nutrition Month. Different colors and foods give your body the variety of nutrients and phytochemicals it needs for a healthy life. Here's a quick guide to eating right with color. Red foods like tomatoes, strawberries, and watermelons to help protect your heart. Orange and deep yellow foods such as mangoes, pineapples, and carrots to promote healthy vision. Green foods like grapes, honeydew, and broccoli may help reduce cancer risks. The blue and purple of blueberries, raisins, and plums have anti-aging benefits, and white foods like garlic and onions may help lower cholesterol levels. So when it comes to eating better, remember to color up your plate and eat to a healthier you. You're listening to FM 91, KISU, Pocatello, Idaho Falls, and Blackfoot, receiving funding support from the Associated Students of Idaho State University, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, and from generous listeners like you.